Hello, uh, my name is Luna, and uh, I'll be doing this one by myself. Um, lack of a babysitter is my reason. So uh, while I'm talking, my husband is watching the baby. So uh, <clears throat> this is just kind of a test run anyway, uh, just for me to get used to speaking into a mic and having it recorded. It's a little nerve-wracking, but I'm sure I'll get through it okay. Uh Basically, what I have on my mind right now, and what I have on my mind almost all the time now, since I'm a, a new mom, uh, is there's a lot of issues with first-time moms and getting information off of the internet about your baby's development, uh, their milestones, such. Um, <clears throat> the biggest problem is the, the place that most women go to are these forums, right? And the forums can be a good thing. They can always be helpful. I've actually had uh, help myself when looking up some information. Obviously, if it's something medical, I would talk to my child's pediatrician. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't just take information from random people on the internet. Uh, but anyway, so what happens, what I've been seeing is there's a forum uh, that I've been looking at for months now, and I don't really, I haven't posted just kind of lurking like a creep but uh, I just go on there just to kind of see what um, what people are doing uh, how they're progressing with feeding and sleep issues because I've had a few myself so I just like to see how p other people deal with things uh, <clears throat> so for me what I've been seeing that's that's a little troubling is you have like I said first-time moms go on there and they see you have a group uh, that you're uh, that you're put in according to when your baby was born, like their birth month. So you're seeing all these other babies that are the same age as yours, and uh, babies hit milestones at different times, right? There's a range. It's not like right at seven months, right at eight months, um, or whatever. Uh, it, they're supposed to be doing a certain thing. It's usually a range of about two to three months, sometimes longer for things like rolling around on the floor, uh, sitting up on their own, crawling, and definitely walking. There's a huge range there. Uh, <clears throat> so they go on here and they see that these other babies are doing things sooner than their own and they get discouraged and they think something's wrong with their baby or they feel like ultimately that they're not a good parent and that they're causing their baby to not develop at the normal rate, which is totally not true. Um, so I've, I've seen lately a lot of people posting and saying that uh, they're leaving the forum because they're getting actually anxious and depressed because their baby's not developing uh, like the other babies as quickly and so it's making them anxious and they can't enjoy, essentially enjoy their child growing because they're worried. They're comparing their child to these other kids. Um, I kind of, I let it get to me a little bit in the beginning because I've never done this. And um, luckily my son has hit uh, his milestones, um, you know, social and developmental milestones you know pretty he's pretty right on uh sometimes it's a little early maybe a little later but he's definitely doing really well in comparison to some 
uh, some of the other children I've seen people posting about. Uh, it doesn't bother me too much because whenever I take him in to see a, his pediatrician, he uh, always has good things to say. They have a questionnaire. They go down, ask you questions, make sure that they're development, developing okay. And uh, sorry, I'm tripping over my words a little bit because I'm nervous. Um, he's been doing great at every visit. So I try not to compare him to other babies because each child is unique, right? So uh, the thing that I really hate is the issue, the subject of sleep training. So uh, when you're a first-time mother and your baby doesn't want to sleep the way you think they are supposed to sleep, which is total BS. Uh, Every baby's different, and sleep is... Some babies sleep through the night. Uh, Some babies wake up several times. Some babies wake up only once. Sometimes they don't want to take naps at all. Uh, Sometimes they want to take too many naps, or they take, you know, 20-minute naps, and they should be doing one- to two-hour naps. It can be really frustrating, but I've come to find that if I focus so much on how he's sleeping and when he's sleeping, I'm not enjoying the time that I have with him while he's still little. And I don't want to look back and be like, wow, so until he was a year old or two years old, all I did was focus on he's not sleeping enough. I'm not getting enough sleep and being frustrated because it's not his fault. Every baby is different. He's not going to he's going to sleep through the night and sleep by himself when he's ready because right now we're co-sleeping which is another uh no-no when it comes to sleep training apparently so what sleep training basically is um not all sleep training is the cry it out method uh there's a cry out cry it out method which is uh there's two really well-known ones which is there's the ferber method Uh, And then there's extinction, which sounds horrible, and it it pretty much is, uh, especially if your baby is really resistant to it. So sleep training is basically what what parents do to be able to have their baby sleep independently. Uh, And, you know, I'm not going to say selfishly, but some people selfishly just, they want to sleep all night and not be interrupted by their child, which is important. It's important for mothers to get sleep because if they are, you know, sleep deprived all the time, it's definitely not good. You have to be able to take care of yourself, take care of your baby. But anyway, um, there's lots of different thoughts about this, different opinions. <laughs> uh, and I'm just going to give you mine. Uh, and also it's, it's kind of the majority of what I'm seeing. Um, so anyway, there are people that advocate sleep training and that's great. If it works for them, it works for their baby, their family, that's fine. As long as the baby's being, neither being met when they cry and it's actually an issue where they, they need to eat. Uh, they have a wet diaper, things like that. They're not feeling well. You shouldn't try to do sleep training when they're teething or when they're sick because it's just not good. <clears throat> so anyway, extinction. I will start with the Ferber method. The Ferber method is basically when you put the baby down in the crib right? By the way, you're supposed to put them down drowsy, but awake. I hear this term all the time, drowsy, but awake. Uh, My son (laughs) is either awake or he's passed out. So there's no in between for him, right? Uh, (laughs) 
So anyway, drowsy but awake does not work for him. But even when he's asleep, if I put him in the crib, he wakes up immediately. Uh, only a handful of times has he slept, but it's for like 10 minutes. So anyway, the Ferber method is you put the baby in the crib, drowsy but awake, or fully awake, however you want, uh, and then you leave the room, right? Turn lights off, leave the room. Uh, and then you basically monitor them. You have a baby monitor, and if they keep crying and they cry, uh, you go in after about, I think it's three minutes the first time, two or three minutes the first time, but you don't pick them up, right? You go in there, you can pat them, comfort them, talk to them for no more than one or two minutes, and then leave the room again. The second time, you check in after five minutes. I think it's 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then, you know, each time after that, 20 minutes. So that's a lot. And for, I know my baby, when I would, I tried this, right? I tried it, and it didn't work because every time I would go in to check on him, it would just, it's like a, you're giving them hope and then you take it away, right? Because I'd go in and he'd want me to hold him and I wouldn't and I would just talk to him for a minute and leave and then he would cry even harder. So he, it's just kind of like, oh, my mom's here. And then, fuck, where's she going, right? And so then it's just more frustration. It makes it worse. So uh, that didn't work, obviously. So then I thought one night I was really, really exhausted, very tired, he didn't want to sleep for anything, right? So I was like, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do uh, full-on cry it out, which is extinction. And uh, I put him, put him in his crib, left the room, uh, went downstairs, and I had the monitor on, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried. And I thought, surely he's gonna, he'll stop. He'll get tired. He'll go to sleep. 45 minutes later, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm crying because I feel like an asshole. He's screaming his head off, not not getting any quieter. He, you know, usually they kind of will not cry so intensely. It'll taper off. They go to sleep. Not this kid. So <laughs> I said, I'm not doing this. Obviously, this is not what's going to work for him. So I went and got him. And it took him a long time to calm down. And then I just was like, no, there's no way I'm doing this to him again. So basically... So the cried out method, obviously, sleep training, not working for us. So uh, I was I went online because I felt really defeated, and I started looking it up, right? And then I started looking at some studies. I started looking at some articles. Um, there was this one particular article where they actually they spoke to uh, mental health care professionals, whether they were... Uh, clinical social workers, psychiatrists, or clinical psychologists, and they that they spoke to them about sleep training. You know, these people, uh, these professionals, obviously dealt mostly with children, so they kind of specialized in this thing. So they're they are of the opinion, and I this is not my opinion. Uh, I have to say this. Uh, I, this is just what I read. Um, I'm sure there are many schools of thought on this. Um, many different opinions. Uh, so I'm by no means an expert. I'm just telling you what I read. Uh, and in more than one case, this is what I saw, was that when a baby is left alone to cry it out, uh, mostly what's happening is they kind of eventually give up, right? They cry and they cry. Nobody comes in. They keep crying. And eventually... They just kind of go, well, 
nobody's coming to help me and they give up and that's when they go to sleep. So that in itself sounds really, really sad. And I, it, babies cry because they need their parents. They need their mom or their dad, right? They need that closeness, especially when they're developing. Uh, and then, you know, they could be going through, like I said, teething. Uh, they might not feel very well. They could have stomach issues, a lot of reflux, um, colic. Yeah, uh, they might um, they might be going through a growth spurt. That's common too. You don't know. There's so many factors to consider. So sleep training is really difficult for babies, and and you know they want to. In a lot of other cultures here in Western culture, we are very like, baby gets their own room. They get a crib. That's where they sleep, uh, right? In other cultures, the baby sleeps with the mom, up until sometimes they're two or older. You know, the baby stays close, right? And it was not just a developmental thing. It's like it's a safety thing. And they see that a lot of babies in um, other cultures, um, like, sorry, like not in North America, uh, other cultures, they tend to have less problems with uh, what we over here call SIDS, right? Sudden infant death syndrome. Because... Uh, when the mom and baby sleep together, uh, particularly the way they sleep, curled, you know, kind of like they're sleeping face to face, the carbon dioxide and oxygen exchange between the mother and the baby, uh, it actually helps regulate breathing for the infant. So, um, and their heart rate. So it actually does a lot of good for the baby to be close to their mother. And so the separation that people feel is so important uh, in North America, it's kind of bullshit, I think. And it, like I said, if it works for you, great. Uh, it just doesn't seem right. And if it doesn't, that's the bottom line. Everyone's different. So if you try it, you try sleep training and it doesn't feel right to you because it didn't feel right to me. It felt wrong. Don't do it because you're stressing yourself out. Baby's getting stressed out. And what I was reading in this article is that the cortisol levels, you know, stress hormone, um, they're elevated obviously the baby's in distress and it actually takes some time for the cortisol levels to level out and go back to normal. That's just not good. Um, it's unneeded stress, totally unavoidable. So, you know, there's, um, a lot of stigma too around co-sleeping, which I was just saying, you know, in other cultures, a lot of babies co-sleep with their mom and it helps to regulate their system. If it's done safely, uh, there's no problem with it. And actually, it's starting to gain popularity in in, uh, in North America now. Uh, I see a lot of things now about co-sleeping because for the longest time, it's been like, no, 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 your baby's going to die. You're going to roll over on your baby and suffocate them, you know, or they're going to pull a blanket over their head. And they're, it's just, it, they, they try to scare you, which it can happen. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's a lot of factors to consider. And in fact, some of the things are if you are a smoker, if you drink alcohol frequently, if you have any major health conditions, um, like if, if you're obese, that's always a problem with anything, right? Uh, if you, um, what am I trying to say here? Having a blank moment. So, okay, so, oh, if you're taking medication that sedates you significantly, like if you're taking something uh, because you have insomnia 
or restless legs or anything that would impair you, right? Uh, or even some allergy medications like Benadryl. Like I used to take Benadryl. I don't take it now because I am co-sleeping with my son and it knocks me out. So I, I'm worried that if he wakes up and he's crying or I never move when I'm sleeping next to him, but just say this one time I did and I rolled over on him, I, I couldn't forgive myself for that, right? Although he's old enough now that he would be okay. He probably would kick me and then I'd, <laughs> I'd move. But um, if it's done safely, if you secure the, be- the bed, make sure that they can't fall off. Uh, make sure, like I said, you're not going to roll over onto them. Um, you have to know yourself. You have to know your sleep habits. You have to know, you have to be very careful. And like I said, I do know that when I lay next to him, I don't move. It's a small bed anyway, right? So there's not a whole lot of, if I can't really roll around or anything. Uh, we put the bed on the floor, right? We put the mattress on the floor. So it's a floor bed. That's a thing. Uh, there's a big thing now for floor beds instead of cribs. Because the other thing is a lot of babies don't like cribs, right? Um, a lot of people are referring to them as a baby jail. Because they can't really see their environment fully because of the, the slats, the wooden slats. And it's just being separate from their from their mother too it's 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 hard for some babies some have you know more they have their higher needs and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that uh, but a lot of people that are big advocates for sleep training think that babies that uh, sleep with their mother are not as independent when they get older uh, they're they're more clingy they're more needy uh, and then it just impacts their sleep for life like they never get good sleep Uh and, and that's not that's not true. Uh, I don't have specific examples right now. Um, I kind of came thought of this at the last minute, but uh, there's basically a lot of proof, a lot of evidence, a lot of studies showing there's no difference between babies that have been sleep trained and babies that have not um, mentally, physically, pretty damn close, right? And in fact, it's been found that babies that co-sleep with their mother or their father or both, they actually are more independent and more well-adjusted because of that closeness, because they have that, that strong bond and they're being tended to, you know, a lot sooner, right? Baby cries, you're right there to help them. They don't have to wonder if someone's coming. Uh, they just know, okay, my mom's here, my dad's here, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, another good thing about these forums or this forum that I've been, you know, creeping on, <laughs> lurking on is there, uh, you, f- you find people, um, that are legitimately good at what they do as far as sleep coaching, like sleep coaching is a thing, right? Um, and it, it doesn't always involve sleep training. It's basically someone that has training specifically, uh, to, you know, they're able to tell people how best to get their baby to sleep uh, in different situations. So if you're going to have them in a crib, if you're going to have them on a floor bed um, or in your bed, whatever, how to safely do it, how to do it with minimal stress. Uh, and there's just lots of different interesting techniques. And I'll tell you what, when I was on this one forum, uh, frequently I saw somebody mention uh Someone on Instagram, and I'll give her a shout out here because she deserves it. Her, her, her at 
It's on Instagram. It's Hey Sleepy Baby. Um, her name is Rachel. She's great. I haven't talked to her personally, but I have looked at a lot of her guides, specifically uh, the ones on co-sleeping and her crib guide. She is amazing, right? Um, she doesn't like sleep training, but she's not one to bash it, right? She's she's going to let you make up your own mind about it. Uh, she's basically like, try it out if you think you want to, but then come back here when you're ready to do something else because ultimately a lot of people choose not to sleep train because it does feel wrong to a lot of people. Uh, and if it feels wrong, like I said, you should never do it. It's just too much time spent stressing over things when you could just be enjoying your baby, which I try try really hard now uh, to not stress because it's really hard for me. I love to sleep, right? And I've always been able to sleep very easily. I can fall asleep anywhere. My husband, not so much. He, it's a struggle, right? Uh, So when I fall asleep and I get woken up, I'm super grouchy and, you know, Getting mad at a baby, that's just really sad. But it, it happens. I'm not going to lie. I've gotten pissed off at my son <laughs> because I'm in, I finally fall asleep and I'm sleeping really, really good. And then he starts screaming. And since I'm sleeping next to him, he's screaming in my ear. And that's not a fun way to wake up, right? So <laughs> so I, I get up and I'm just like, damn it. I'm like, this little bastard. But in a nice way, I love him. But, you know, still, it's 3 in the morning, so, you know, he's going to get called some names in my head, not out loud, in my head. Uh, And I get his bottle, and I sit in the rocking chair. I rock him. I feed him. Halfway through, I'm like, he's not falling back asleep. Because normally that's about the halfway point. He's falling asleep. But then he's sitting there. He's swinging his legs. He does this thing where he likes to scratch my arm in the same spot until it basically feels like I'm, my arm is raw, uh, and it's really hard to stay calm, right? But, but I'm not going to lie and say I've never gotten pissed off because I have. Uh, I'm working on that. But, you know, you just have to, like I said, getting mad at a baby, okay, yeah, it happens, right? But you have to just don't let them see it, right? You have to you have to stuff that down, and you have to be sweet to them, even though you're just like, man, this is the last thing I want to do because you were not letting me sleep, right? He's gotten better about it, but what happens now is when he starts sleeping through the night and only waking up maybe once, then he starts getting more teeth coming in, right? So then that all just goes to hell. Right now he's working on two top teeth that have been coming in for <laughs> two, three weeks now. They're they're poking out, but they're not all the way through, so he's still, you know, in a lot of, he's having a lot of discomfort. He's having a rough time. So, you know, he's about to hit nine months. So he's going through a growth spurt, too. So it, there's a lot going on for him. So I try to keep that in mind. Uh, but it's hard, right? It's hard. And I think it's harder, too, because I, you know, we had him. Uh, my husband and I didn't. I, I don't know if for him, I always thought I would never have kids, right? I was like, I don't want kids. Uh, that's the last thing. I did. I was like, I don't even like kids, to be honest. So... Having uh, a baby and having to completely change everything about your life, you know, because once you have a kid, that it's not about you anymore. That's it. Like, you're done, right? It's all about your baby. 
which is fine. I, I didn't think I would like it as much as I do. I love it. It's actually the best, best things ever happened to me. And I think my husband can say the same thing. Like he's such a good dad and he, uh, at times is more calm than I am with our son, which I didn't think would happen. I thought I would be the one that was, you know, always calm and nurturing and no matter what, no matter how frustrated it got, frustrated he got, uh, that I would stay calm and, and never lose it. But that's not the case. That's not reality. And that's not reality for anyone. Uh, and if you think that you're going to be like that, you don't know until you're in that situation. So anyway, uh, it's just, it's a lot, but, oh, what I was saying, got sidetracked there. What I was saying is I didn't think I'd have a kid. Uh, my husband, uh, he wasn't, we never really were like, yeah, yeah, we want to have a baby or no. It was just kind of like, mm, right? Because I, I was always like, no, I don't want a kid. But with him, it was different. I was kind of thinking, well, if it happens. But I didn't think it would because, you know, I'm in my 40s. Uh, I'm not super young anymore. But apparently... I have no issues because we uh, we decided I had I was on birth control, stopped it, had an IUD, got it taken out, right? Uh, and then I think COVID hit, and so we were like, we were kind of trying, but not really. But then COVID hit, and we were like, uh, maybe we should like hold off a little bit, hold off until COVID's over, which would have been crazy, right? Because it's never going to be over at this point. Uh, we thought that it would just stop at some point anyway. So that was before, uh, we were naive. Everybody was, uh, so we're like, okay, let's hold off a bit. But I didn't get back on birth control. Right. So, but I'm thinking, Hey, you know, I'm 42, uh, 41 at the time. I, no, I was 42. I'm like, I'm 42. It, it's probably not going to happen. Right. Well, after I, thought that to myself about three months later, right? Uh, I'm at work and I just have this feeling. I just had this feeling. I was like, mm, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. I worked in, in, a, in a medical clinic, right? So I had access to that. I work in the lab. So I go in the bathroom. <laughs> I take the test and like immediately, immediately. So you're looking for two pink lines on this thing, right? On the strip. Immediately two pink lines popped up. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, are you serious? I mean, I was, I was happy, kind of, but like, you know, not to go into too much personal stuff, but we had kind of gotten into an argument the night before, my husband and I. Uh, and so I was kind of like, still kind of upset about that, you know, going into work. You don't want to go to work when you're feeling kind of crappy, right? And I never like for us to fight, so I kind of felt like shit, so... I'm like, is this a, this is a good thing, right? Is it a good thing? I come out of the bathroom, one of my coworkers, she sees me. She's real sweet. She goes, what's going on? And I showed her the test and she's like, oh my God, congratulations. And then she goes, wait, that's good, right? And I'm like, I started crying and I'm like, I think so. And she goes, okay, well, you're only here for like half a day, right? And I said, yeah. And she's like, why don't you just go home? Like our, our manager wasn't there. She's like, uh, I'll talk to her. And uh, she's like, I'll tell her what's going on. Or I don't have to tell her exactly, but I'll tell her you had to leave. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, yeah, because I'm not going to. She's like, are you going to be able to, to function? Are you going to be distracted? And I'm like, I should probably go. So I left. 
And all the way home, I'm just like, is this real? Like, I was tripping, right? So I get home. He's in the basement doing some stuff. And I show him that I had the test in my pocket. And I pulled it out and I showed it to him. And he goes, what's that? And I was like, it's positive. And he goes, what is? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm pregnant. And he goes, what? And I was like, oh, shit, right? And he goes, oh, my God, that's so good. And he hugged me, and I was just, like, relieved, right? And then I was like, okay, good, right? Because, you know, it would have been good for me regardless, but it was better that he was happy about it, right? Because you always want the other person to be on board, too. It makes things a lot easier, right? So, uh so that's when it started, right? And then we're like, oh, my God, this pandemic and this is just like, and at this point we, I mean, we still don't know a lot about COVID, right? We know more and we definitely feel differently about it and differently about uh, vaccines seeing, you know, in light of treatments and all this other stuff and just all the crap surrounding it and all the politics that's been brought into it. But at the time, COVID was, like, scary, right, to us. It was way new, and we were just like, oh, my God. And I'm like, how am I going to – what are we going to do? I'm like, I can't get sick, right? And I was still working up until I was almost nine months. I started my maternity leave, you know, about three weeks early. I wanted to take take some time to just kind of relax. And uh, because at that point, I was uncomfortable. (laughs) My feet were swollen. I was tired. And I don't know if – it might have been easier for me if I was like in my 20s or my my early 30s. I don't know if it or maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a, a little bitch about everything. But no, it was it was rough. But I hung in there. Uh, and then when it was time to to stop working, it was time to stop working. So um, anyway, but I was going to work every day. And like I said, I worked in a medical clinic. So, you know, we still had patients coming in. Uh, I worked in the lab, so I was drawing blood. Um, so I was pretty close to people when they came in, is what I'm saying, right? So <laughs> everybody had a mask on, which at this point we know a mask doesn't mean much. But at that time, it was like, wear a mask, wear a mask. So we all had masks on. Uh, but then, you know, you'd get the occasional person that would get upset during their blood draw and they would start breathing heavily they're hyperventilating and they would pull their mask down and I would like freak out because I was pregnant and I was like I can't get COVID you know I didn't know there there wasn't a whole lot of information about pregnant women getting COVID and how it would affect them how it affect the baby uh, and I wasn't going to get the vaccine while I was pregnant right so it was just <laughs> it was scary but I got through it uh, and then I went on my maternity leave um, my doctor wanted to induce me because, you know, I'm a little older and because I have high blood pressure. Uh, so it put me, uh, I'm high risk, right? And by the way, when you're 35 or older, it is called a geriatric pregnancy, right? Or advanced maternal age is what they put in your chart. But you hear the term geriatric pregnancy and it's very uh, it's very disheartening. It's very, it's an insult almost, right? Because you're like, when you think geriatric, you think like nursing home. That's that's the first thing that pops into my mind, right? My grandparents uh, about to, you know, kick it, right? So anyway, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a, uh, I am have a geriatric pregnancy. That's great. So 
anyway, I... Where was I going with this? Oh, so I was going to be scheduled to be induced. So, you know, my time comes and uh, go to the hospital and they start the process, right? They give you an IV and they give you some stuff through the IV to get everything going. It was a, it was a nice, you know, the hospital's nice. It was big, big, cozy, big, cozy. Those kind of an oxymoron. But it was. It was a cozy room. It was big. Um, my husband was there with me, obviously. Um, I had to wear a mask the whole time. Even when I was, you know, going into labor, it, it was rough because, you know, people say, well, oh, I can't breathe with a mask on, which is bullshit. You can, but it does make you feel claustrophobic, right? For sure. I've really, I, I got it at that point. I was like, I don't want to have this on, but I had to. So, you know, several hours go by. Well, for, let's start here. So a few hours go by. Uh, they had given me an epidural too, right? Because I was like, I don't want to feel this. I'm not going through extreme pain. I want him out. I want to enjoy him. I don't want to feel any of it. So they gave me the epidural. Uh, my husband was a trooper, by the way. He stayed in the room while they did it. Uh, I don't know how he felt exactly if he was going to pass out or not, but he didn't. So it was pretty cool. Um, and uh, the epidural, you know, it's not that painful. Feels a little weird, but I don't know. I kind of just went somewhere else in my mind and didn't think about it too much. And then it was done. And uh, I, they came in, checked me a bunch of times. Several different people came in, and you know, they do exams on you to see how far, how far things are progressing, or how quickly things are progressing. Uh, and for me, not really. Right? I was probably at about two or three centimeters for hours. Right? And I'm just thinking. You know, I, I thought it was going to go a lot smoother. I thought it was going to happen quickly. No, not so. Uh, fast forward to the next day. Because I went in at about 10 p.m. at night. Obviously 10 p.m. I went in at 10 p.m. Uh, and then, you know, I slept on kind of on and off because I was like, well, nothing's happening. Um, and so my husband slept in like a chair. <laughs> and uh, then the next day... Things just weren't get going any better. Uh, I can't even remember now. I know my doctor did an exam and she broke my water because it didn't happen on its own. And I think it was the night before, but I can't even remember that part now. Uh, but I do remember they kept turning me. I was laying, I was on my side because when you lay on your back, you start feeling kind of kind of dizzy because there's a nerve that runs along your spine and there's a... Uh, there's blood vessels, right? And you you lay on those, and it cuts off blood flow, and then you just you feel like you're going to pass out or you're going to throw up. And at times I felt like I was going to do both. So occasionally they'd make me lay my back just to kind of, they you know, they kept losing on the monitor. They kept having to chase chase my son around. He kept moving, so they kept losing his, his heartbeat. It was there, but they kept having to reposition everything. Uh, and so they turned me up, they put me on my back, turned me on my right side, turned me on my left. It was just like so uncomfortable and I couldn't just like chill at all. Uh, <laughs> and um, then, and plus I was numb from the waist down. So I'm trying to like grab the bar on the side of the bed and like pull myself. And it's hard. You're like pulling your whole, your body weight because you, you're just dead from the waist down. You can't feel anything. Uh 
And so then his heart rate started dropping when I had contractions. I, just, I wasn't too freaked out because I know that that happens as you get a little further. You progress a little more. And it wasn't going super low. Um, but then it did start dipping more. So my husband had left to go home. Uh, we had several animals. So he went home to feed them. Plus he needed, you know, a little bit of a break. I get it. I, I hate hospitals. I wouldn't want to sit there that long either. If I could take a break, I'd take it. So he came home, fed the animals. I, I think got something to eat, whatever. And while he was gone, my doctor showed up and she goes, uh, I think, and before she could finish her sentence, I was like, you're going to do a C-section. She was like, yeah. And I was like, well, my husband's not here. And he wasn't actually supposed to leave the hospital, right? They have this thing where if you go to the hospital, you stay there until you have to leave because of COVID. They don't want people coming in and out and being exposed and coming back in. Like, anyway. So I was like, my husband's not here. And she goes, where is he? And I was like, he went to get something to eat. And she just kind of was like, mm. and she goes, okay, do you know when he'll be back? And I was like, well, I told him to take his time. She's like, okay, we'll wait till he gets back. So she didn't rat him out. That was cool. And so I called him. I'm like, hey, where are you? And he's like, I'm about to leave. And I was like, okay, they're doing a C-section. So they're going to wait for you. Uh, so they got the process started they wheeled me downstairs to the to the operating room which by the way was just like I knew I would probably be okay but it was terrifying I it was like it was like watching a tv show right <laughs> and uh they took me into the OR and there were like so many people in there you know everybody has their thing that they have to do so it's it's really efficient but it's scary you got people grabbing you putting you on the table putting you know Kind of like they put you in this, they put your arms out and they strap you to the, these boards, right? So you don't move. And they do all this stuff. You just like, it's, <laughs> it's really weird. And then I had some, this guy like trying to explain to me what they were going to do. I don't even remember what he said now. Um, Cause I was just so like, they're actually going to do this. They are going to cut me open. And I was like, man, I hope I don't feel it. Even I still had the epidural. But I was just terrified that they would start cutting and I was going to feel everything, right? So my husband got there. Uh, he was by me the whole time. <laughs> and I don't remember what was said or anything anymore. Uh, I did remember for a while now. It's just complete blank. But then I remember I heard or we heard our son cry, right? And that was like the best thing ever. We both started crying <laughs> like right away. Uh, and, uh, it was actually, it went by pretty fast. It didn't take very long. They got him cleaned up and everything and they stitched me up, got me into, um, recovery where the nurse had to do several painful things to me to try to, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail, but your uterus has to shrink back down. Uh, they don't want you to get any infections. So they basically have to, uh, push on your abdomen as hard as possible to get out any blood clots that might be in there. And it's the most painful thing ever. My husband was witness to that and I wish he hadn't seen it. But anyway, I'll stop with that part. Uh, they given me, they gave me a lot of morphine too, right? Which if I could go back and redo things, I probably would have said, don't give me as much because, because every time they said, do you want a little more? Do you want, they're not going to have it. 
uh, when you go to your room, you're not going to get any more. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Every time I'm like, yeah, give me more. Then they get me in there and I threw up a bunch because it made me nauseated. It made me sick to my stomach. <laughs> so I just had a C-section and I'm trying so hard. I was holding a pillow, try, <laughs> trying not to be in pain as I'm like throwing up. So, but then they, you know, I had my son with me and the whole experience was just, I look back on it now and it's, I can't believe it even happened, right? It seems like it didn't even happen. Uh, obviously it did. And he's growing up so fast. He's going to be nine months, like I said, next week. Um, and I almost wasn't here for that. Uh, I've told this story a bunch of times, right? When I was, um, I was in the hospital for, I guess, three days, I think, or two days. It felt like forever. I think it might've just been two days, but I remember the second day I remember laying down and I was wheezing a little bit I was like hmm, that's weird I didn't I didn't feel like I had trouble breathing but I was wheezing and my oxygen saturation they put that little thing on your finger to check the oxygen in your blood right it was low not super low but it was like 90 91 92 and it really should be about 98 or higher 97 maybe so they, and they kept asking me, are you having trouble breathing? Because when they checked my, my oxygen saturation, it was, you know, to them it was lower than it should be. And I was like, no, I can breathe. But I said, you know, I started wheezing. And then they're like, do you have any chest pain? And I'm like, no, no, no chest pain. Uh, so they just said, keep an eye on it. If you have any other problems, let us know. And I'm like, okay. Um, looking back, I probably would have pushed a little harder for them to check me out more. But you I didn't know at the time, right? I, I didn't think about anything bad happening. So then what happened was I finally got to go home. And once we got home, I noticed that that night when I was trying to sleep, I, every time I tried to lay down, like lay flat, uh, I couldn't breathe. Like it was so bad that I got panicky because I couldn't breathe. But once I sat up, I was okay. And I was like, that's weird. But then I thought I was having panic attacks. I thought I was anxious. I just, we just came home with a new baby. I was, I didn't, I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I got to keep this baby alive. Like, <laughs> so uh, I just thought I was just freaking out, right? Because, you know, I've had panic, panic attacks in the past and you, you have trouble breathing sometimes, right? And I thought maybe I was having a little trouble breathing, but I was making it worse because I was freaking out, right? So I even, I told my doctor about it and she's like, do you have chest pain? They, everybody I talked to just kept asking if I had chest pain. I said, no. And they said, well, keep an eye on it. Go to the emergency room if you, if you have chest pain. And I said, okay. Uh, and then I was sitting on the couch with my husband. We were watching TV and all of a sudden I felt this pain in my back between my shoulder blades and then it radiated to the front in my chest, Right. And it was, it hurt. And he saw my face and I was just like, this is not good. And he's like, it's time for you to go to the hospital. So I was still at this point thinking it's nothing. It's nothing. They're going to check because, you know, anytime you go to the hospital and I don't know about most of you, but I've gone a few times where it ended up being nothing, but it's better to be safe. Right. 
So, of course, I thought, I still have that 16-year-old, uh, nothing's going to happen to me mentality, right? Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm invincible. So, I go in, and they took me to the back immediately, and they drew my blood. And they do this test called a D-dimer to check for clotting, right? Uh, for clots in your system. And they said it was positive. And I was still not upset because... I had had one of these tests before and then had a CAT scan and it turned out it was it was a false positive because a lot of things can actually cause you to have a false positive on a D-dimer. So I was like, okay, probably nothing. So they're like, we're going to do a CAT scan of your chest, you know, with contrast. They're going to use the, the dye, right, the IV dye. So I go, okay, okay. They take me in and after it's over, the nurse comes in and she goes, has the doctor talked to you yet? And I'm like... No. And by the way, I had to push the call button in the in the in the room a couple times because I really I was told the nurse I can't breathe. Like I was starting to freak out. Anyway, uh she was like, Well, uh they found a clot in your lung. And and it was like she said it, but I, I was just like, Is this real? And I go, All right, what I'm sorry, what? And she said they found a clot in your lung. And I just started crying, like bawling my eyes out, right? Because I'm like, I know how dangerous of it's a pulmonary embolism, you know. And if you're familiar, you know it's it can be really dangerous. I was lucky though because sometimes, depending on where you get the clot, depending on where it's bl- the blockage is, some people they get chest pain or they get dizzy and they pass out and then they just they they're gone. That's it. There's no, oh, I have this symptom, I have that symptom, I should go to the hospital, maybe I shouldn't go. There's none of that. You just are dead. Luckily, <laughs> it didn't happen to me, right? I had I had some time. Um, so the doctor comes in, he's like, don't worry, don't worry, we're going to inject a blood thinner. Uh, you'll do a few injections, and then we'll get you started on pills, uh, blood thinners, right? Uh, you'll see a specialist and all that. So... Yeah, it was scary, and I told my husband, and he was really upset. It was a scary moment because he almost became a single dad. I, I he it could he could have been on his own with our son, and that that's scary for anybody, right? Um, I I couldn't do it without him, and I I know he wouldn't want to do it without me either. It's it, it takes both of us really. I understand why people need two parents, not just because they deserve two parents, but it really you need two people. Right, because you need to tap out sometimes because you're about to lose your mind. And, you know, it's just, it's very helpful. So anyway, uh, I had followed up with my doctor, uh, and I told her what happened. And I told her that I had to see a hematologist to get started on blood thinners. So she immediately uh, got on the phone with a doctor uh, that she knew was really good, right? his specialty he was like one of the top doctors right so she she I heard her talking to him and she goes uh I know you're busy but you need to see this woman today and she's like and then she goes you're gonna see her today or whenever you have time like she told she's like you're going to and then she's like okay really okay great I'll send her over so I she she hooked me up so I went over there immediately after I was done with her and he was great. I got in right away and got started on blood thinners. I had to have blood tests frequently, uh, which kind of sucked. But uh, I finally got off the blood thinners. Um, 
supposed to have a follow-up scan, but because of COVID, everything is backed up, so I haven't had that, but I've been okay. So I'm assuming that everything's good. Um, if not, I live literally right next to a hospital. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm doing good. Baby's doing good. Dad's doing good. You know, we have our, our share of hard times. It's challenging being a parent. Um, some people make it look really easy, but it's, and sometimes, sometimes it actually is, right? Your normal routine, your normal routine. Once you get a routine down, it's not hard, but babies are growing constantly and going through a lot. So sometimes their behavior is unpredictable. They have days where they just cry every minute that they're awake. They are crying and fussing and they want you to hold them. And when you put them down just for a minute, cause you have to pee, they scream their head off. I have days where I just, I learn now, like sometimes he just, he's going to have to cry for a minute. He, he's going to have to. And I feel bad about it, but I'm like, I'm in the bathroom and I'm yelling. I'm like, it's okay. I'm all, <laughs> I'm almost done. I'm like, mommy has to be too. Right. Because you know, you can't neglect yourself. And I have done that frequently in the last, you know, nine months that he's been with us. I, I definitely have not taken care of myself as much as I should have. Right. And then you throw in postpartum depression, which can be really heavy. Uh, and for me, it kind of happened a little late. Um, it didn't happen right away. And that's why, I, and that was confusing, right? Cause you always think it happens, you know, within the first six weeks that you have the baby, but I've learned that it doesn't happen like that for everyone. Uh, so I'm working on that, uh, on top of other things, right? Everybody's got a past. Everybody's got problems. So, you know, I'm dealing with it. My husband is dealing with things too, but we're doing really well. I feel like, um, it's a big adjustment. It's no longer just us, right? We have this tiny human, that depends on us for everything. And so we don't always have time for each other. Uh, we, we'll get there. We're trying to, you know, when we have, that's why we're doing this, this podcast, right? So I'm doing it alone right now because, uh, like I said, I had a babysitter, but she was unavailable. She was supposed to actually be here yesterday. Uh, couldn't make it health reasons. I thought she'd be able to come today. So I was psyched. I had looked forward to this all week. But then she texted me this morning and was like, I can't. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're sick, obviously you shouldn't be here. So I was kind of bummed out. And then I was like, you know what? I'll just do this by myself. I can talk to myself for a little bit. And uh, it's almost at that hour mark. So I didn't think I would actually talk this long. But it's it's easier than I thought. And uh, I'm not going to just talk about parenting and pregnancy and all that fun stuff. There's lots of other things to, to discuss, but uh, I prefer to do that with another person, right? Have some interaction, have some feedback. Uh, so I figured that for just this once, I would just talk about my experience with the pregnancy and all the other fun stuff that came after. Uh, and just all the things that I'm learning um, about how, how women are <laughs> essentially like made to feel bad. Honestly, I, I see it. They're made to feel bad if they don't, if they're not willing to do sleep training. You know, there are people that are sleep training advocates that are just, they're bullying women and they're like, 
you're not doing it right and your baby is going to have problems and your baby's going to be needy and, da, 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 and it's just bad, right? Nobody should be, there's enough stress when you're a new mom. You don't need, and you shouldn't put stock in anything that these people, see. you don't know these people, right? They're just random people on the internet. But I think a lot of young moms are a little more affected by this. It doesn't bother me. People can say whatever they want. And I just, I'm going to brush it off because I know that my husband and I are doing the best that we can for our son and he's ours, right? Nobody else's. So they can have their opinions, but they don't really matter because it's not their baby. They can do whatever they want with their child. That's fine. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do with theirs. And so they can't tell me what to do with mine. Um, I mean, they can, but it doesn't mean I care or I'm going to listen. So I just really... My thing is, I don't know why I care so much. I think it's because I know what it's like now, right? I don't want women to to feel like they're doing it wrong, right? There's so many, it's different for everybody. And what feels right for you, that's what you should be doing. So you can't worry about other people. Everyone's always going to have an opinion. Uh, that's just life. So, <laughs> um Some of the other things that are on my mind right now are obviously (laughs) related to COVID. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Which, like I said, we thought it would be gone by now. And it's not happening. In fact, uh, we're having record high cases. Which, you know, they always say that, right? Record high cases. We don't truly know how many cases there are. Um, Especially now that they said there's no need for daily uh, case count reporting. They just feel like it's unnecessary now. They're just basically like, it's a lot. There you go. There's your update. And they're telling people now uh, there's only select groups that are eligible for testing uh, because they are running out of tests. Uh, they're backlogged. They don't want to test people uh, what they consider to be unnecessarily, um, which to me, if you're symptomatic, you should be able to get a test, Right. That's not the case. Um, I know I said I was only going to talk about, I was, wasn't going to talk about this stuff now, but I'm on a roll now, so I may as well do it. Um, it should be the case that if you are symptomatic and you want to get a test for whatever reason, right? You, you, you may have a job like my husband where you're around lots of people all the time and you don't want to, and especially if they're older, you don't want to run the risk of getting them sick. So it's good to know if, if you have COVID or not, right? Because even if you feel okay, even if you don't feel anything, you can have it and you can spread it. And you don't want to be responsible for someone getting really sick or even dying. So the fact that if you're symptomatic, you can't get a test unless you are a frontline worker uh, working a long term or, you, you know, you work in a long term care facility uh, or you're frequently exposed to people that are considered to be like at high risk for, you know, sickness or death or whatever. There and there's lots of rules, right? You have to be to, to be eligible. You have to do, be this and that. And I can't go through all of them. But anyway, I don't want to. It's stupid. Um, I was just surprised because you know, basically you're told, oh well, even if you've previously been tested at a certain like at an assessment center. Because you had symptoms or whatever, and then you call and make an appointment, and they 
you have symptoms and you say yes and then they go well are you eligible and then they tell you who's eligible and you go no they say well basically just assume that you have it (laughs) right this is literally what they say to you i'm not making this up right they say assume that you have it and kind of like act accordingly right so they're like if you're vaccinated double full what they consider fully vaccinated until it's not anymore until they start mandating boosters which i will get into that later currently they're not mandating boosters but that could change um right now you have to have two vaccines to be considered fully vaccinated uh and if you are fully vaccinated then they say you can cut the isolation period down right last i read it was five days Uh, I think it may be even shorter now if you are able to get, like if you're fully vaccinated and you're able to get a rapid test and you have two negative tests in a row, then I think you can like cut your isolation time even in half. You know, it's five days, you can do half of that. Uh, So anyway, I, it's just really frustrating that now, you know, and I'm just a little confused because they're saying, you know, only certain people can get tested, yet the case counts have been so high. So these people, people, lots of people are getting tested. Where are they getting tested? Where And these rapid tests are only handed out randomly uh, by LCBO, which is a, uh, a liquor store. <laughs> so I don't know wh- how, why they made a deal with them, but occasionally you'll see something on the news or you're here on the radio that they're handing out rapid test kits. And of course they go like immediately, like there's no way unless you live right next door to an LCBO and you have a heads up, you're not getting these tests. So these people, I don't know. They're really, really keeping track. They must, I don't know if there's some kind of like alert that they're getting and they're like, got to go to the LCBO and get my test kit. But people are getting them. It's just, they sell out or not sell out. They, they disappear quickly. They're free. Um, so I've called pharmacies, uh, where they supposedly do the rapid test and they're like, well, we're not, we don't even have, we're not selling them because we don't even have them to do the tests ourselves. Right. So they're supposed to free up a bunch of test kits here. I think the last I saw was at first it was like 54 million. Now I think it's over a hundred million tests that they're supposed to have available. Uh, but like I said, they're saying, assume you have it and they're not doing daily case counts anymore. Um, so basically it, it doesn't really matter. I think so much if they're letting us know how many cases there are, because that wasn't an even accurate anyway, right? If they tell you, okay, there's, uh, I don't even remember 13,000 cases, you can assume that it's probably double or triple, maybe even more than that, right? And there's more, you know there's more because first of all, those are only people that were able to get tested. Imagine how many people didn't get tested that have it. So at this point, we're all, you know, my husband and I were talking about it and other people have agreed to, we're all gonna, even they'll tell you, right? This is the strain that you wanna get, right? Omicron, get this one because it's really minor. I think I saw something they were calling it like Omicold or something like that. It's not, it's not as severe. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There are people, apparently, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be one. I read that there have been deaths from it. But the problem with that, right, the problem with that is 
we now know that when people are admitted to the hospital or they show up at the hospital, like ER or whatever, and they're there for, say they have a broken foot or uh, they have an earache or something, and then they test them and they find out they have COVID and then they hospitalize them, they're like, COVID case. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, but like they weren't hospitalized. Do you know what I'm saying? I think I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm confusing you right now, but uh, basically there's people, it's like, was it the COVID that put them in the hospital or is it something else? They just happen to have COVID just like when they die, right? It's like, did the COVID kill them or they happen to die with COVID, right? Uh, Diabetes or a heart attack, but they had COVID when they died, right? Anyway, uh, like George Floyd, apparently, uh, they were like, oh, he had COVID, so he was going to die anyway, which is completely false because we know COVID doesn't kill everyone. Uh, <laughs> and so anyway, uh, I'll get off my soapbox about that. People have their own opinions. There are facts out there, but there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of conflicting information which is why i think people are so uh people are so divided right now Uh, we've been divided for a while quite some time more so in the u.s the u.s is a big mess i'm kind of glad i'm not there anymore Uh, i've been in canada since 2017 and i don't regret it at all (laughs) um but everything gets politicized uh you know with mandates whether it be vaccines or masks Um, We're told different information as it's received, right? Like, it's like, wear a mask. No, first it was, you don't need a mask. You're fine. Oh, my God, wear a mask. And it's like, wear two masks. And they're like, wait, but these masks don't even work anymore. Now you need this one. And then as the virus mutates and there's different variants, there's different recommendations. And then they, you know, with the vaccines, which in my opinion and the opinion of many others, it uh, was rolled out way too soon so you know they have a testing phase and I feel like we're still in the testing phase right actively we're test subjects so um but that changed as far as you know at the time in between the first and second vaccine the time in between the second vaccine and the third booster or the fourth booster right initially they were like uh what 21 days I believe uh don't quote me on that but that's what I'm remembering um, it was 21 days, then it was, um, I think, six weeks, and then it was, uh, so th- it just kept getting, you know, longer and longer, and then I'm like, I my thing was, okay, if you get the first vaccine and then you don't get vaccinated for, like, I don't know, three months, four months, you don't get the second one, uh, does the first vaccine even matter anymore? Like, is it just, so it... And now we're finding that, um, and like I said, this is just what I've heard, right? What I've read, what I've heard, uh, I'm not representing this as fact. This is just what I have heard that, especially with Omicron, if you are healthy, you don't have any comorbidities, uh, right? Like obesity, diabetes, things like that you have uh, more antibodies. If you get Omicron, you get through it, right? You're okay. You have more antibodies than you do from the vaccine. So a healthy person is actually better for you to go ahead and get this kind of like when you were a kid and your 
friend had chicken pox and your mom's like, let's get this shit over with. And they took you over there and you got chicken pox and then you're good, right? Uh, it's actually better from what I've heard for people to get antibodies from actual from Omicron than it is the vaccine. Um, now, you can fact check me on any of this. I try to fact check myself. <laughs> uh, but like I said, a lot of it is speculation, right? A lot of it. But there are facts in there. But you have to really, really do, do your research. And you have to really dig around to find facts. The truth is like hidden in most cases. And that should, should be the case, right? Um, the truth should be readily available. Transparency is very, very necessary. And especially during a pandemic uh, but like I said, of course, everything's politicized and people have their own agendas and, uh, their own reasons for not being transparent. Um, there's lots of incentives for people, some people, um, whether it's kickbacks from Pfizer, I don't know. Uh, there's just a lot of things to consider. So like I said, just really make sure that you dig around and really put in some work and do your research listen to podcasts, you know, listen to podcasts where they have guests that are highly criticized, right? Because usually they try to shut down people that are spreading information that they don't want to get out. Now, that's not always true, right? Sometimes you get people that are very critical of COVID and vaccines and people have ousted them from their, you know, community uh, whether they're a scientist or a doctor. Uh, sometimes people just, they, they spread misinformation and people believe it. That happens frequently, right? Um, but then there are people that get criticized and canceled, but they're out there trying to like really make a difference. They're trying to spread the truth um, that isn't being told to the general public, right? And the stuff that, like I said, it's hidden and you have to really dig around and find it on your own. Basically, what I think is you have to make up your own mind when it comes to things like COVID. Uh, keep yourself safe. Obviously, if you're healthy and you get Omicron, I mean, Delta's scarier. If you get Omicron, you'll probably be okay. And, and you know what? If you're healthy, you might even get Delta and be okay. I can't say for sure, right? Everyone's different. There have been totally pe healthy people that have died from COVID. The majority, no, but there have been exceptions, just like there have been children as well. But then you have to look into factors like, what, you know, did they have any any health issues at the time they got sick? Uh, but we do know there have been some people that did not have health issues. They were very healthy. They exercised on a regular basis, took really good care of themselves, ate wonderful food, and they still died. That's going to happen. There's always exceptions. But if you're healthy and you get Omicron, and then you get through it and you have antibodies, awesome, right? Don't go out and try to get sick. But the likelihood that we're all going to get it at some point is extremely high. I can almost say 100%, right? Um, but just keep yourself safe like you would during flu season, right? Because, you know, in the beginning when people compared it to the flu, I found myself and my husband too, we, we would get like mad, right? Because we thought this was so much bigger than it was. Uh, that the thought that 
people were just saying, oh, it's like the flu. The thought that it was being compared to the flu, it just made us angry, right? It was it was so weird. Um, I remember being in a store checking out and I heard someone say, oh, whatever, this is just like the flu. And I wanted to like knock this woman out. <laughs> and it was like, it's so silly because you know what? Ultimately, uh, those people were right. Um, like I said, because, you know, the flu does kill millions of people we don't even hear about it right it's just a normal thing every year people die from the flu and we're not sitting here doing daily case counts we're not sitting here uh freaking out and isolating shutting everything down um it's it's ridiculous right we're not mandating flu vaccines now if you work in a hospital setting sometimes they'll tell you you have to get a flu shot or you have to wear a mask all day at work uh that happened to me right that that's just that's fine that's an it's an individual establishment. That's not the government saying you have to do this, right? Um, and if you work for someone that's telling you, hey, you have to get a flu shot or wear a mask and you don't like either option, then you can always find another job. That's fine. But with COVID, it's just so crazy. Uh, and the people that they fired, the hospitals fired these nurses uh, and other medical staff that didn't want to get vaccinated. Now they have them back because they are like, oh, my God, we're getting overwhelmed. We need you. Uh, and once this, you know, slows down, they'll probably get rid of them again. And it's really sad. Um, but like the flu, like I was saying, these rapid tests, uh, don't quote me on this either. I was talking to my husband. And if I remember correctly, you might want to look this up. Uh, the rapid test doesn't, dif I think it doesn't differentiate between the flu and COVID. So that's a real problem, right? That's a real problem. Uh, and I think that it speaks for itself why that's a real problem, right? Uh, so I just, I don't know. Uh, and now I read this thing last night. Um, I don't remember the whole article, but there's a term going around. It sounds really ridiculous. It's called um, fluorona, right? And you can kind of imagine for yourself what that is, right? Fluorona. You can get the flu and COVID at the same time, right? Um, it's not like, see, this happens with other viruses and the flu. It's not highly likely that you'll get both at the same time, but it is possible. Uh, and they're saying that it doesn't make you any, it doesn't put you at more risk, right? Like you think, oh my God, COVID and the flu. But apparently it doesn't put you at risk for being sicker because their symptoms are so similar, right? Um, there's exceptions. Like I said, some people might, it might make them a lot sicker. Some people might not notice a difference, uh, for the most part. So anyway, that's a thing now, fluorona. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. Anyway, I don't want to talk about COVID forever. I talked about pregnancy and all that forever, but, uh, I think I'm probably about hitting my time. I could probably talk a little more, but this is kind of a test run for me, like I said, and I just want to see, wanted to see how it felt, test it out a little bit. Um, and it's actually nice. It doesn't feel weird. Like I'm just talking to myself. I feel like, you know, no, I know nobody's listening right now, but maybe in the future. So, um, run this by my husband, see what he thinks. He can tell me it was good or he can be like, you're never doing this again. Uh, but I think I did pretty well, uh, considering, the fact that I was nervous, I'm not anymore. That kind of falls away after the first 20 or 30 minutes. But I hope that uh, anyone that does hear this, that it 
gave you some insight into a few things, if anything at all, right? Uh, and um, I look forward to doing this again, hopefully with another person. That would be great. Hopefully we'll get my babysitter in here and then we can do a full two or three hour podcast without worrying about interruptions and it'll go great. So anyway, hang in there and I hope nobody, I hope everybody stays safe. I'm going to try to stay safe myself. I don't really want COVID. I know I'd probably be fine, but not something I'm looking forward to. So that's my time.